Well, let's just jump into Mark today. Got a lot of great stuff to go through. Uh, there's a historian. His name is Andrew Wall. And Andrew kind of has this premise that, that says Christianity is different than every religion in the world. And it's different because, of, it's different because uh, than every other religion in the world because every religion in the world has a, a geographic center of power that has remained constant where Christianity has been different. So if you think about Hinduism, Hinduism began in India, and it has kind of spread across the world, but yet the center of power still remains in India today. Think about Hinduism. Hinduism began in the Far East. It's kind of traveled around the globe, but yet its geographic center of power and influence remains in the Far East. Islam, Islam began in the Middle East, around Mecca, and it's kind of spread all over the globe, but yet its geographic center of power and influence has remained in the Middle East, in Mecca. And yet Christianity is always on the move. If you would open your Bibles and read the book of Acts, you would see that Christianity began in the area of Jerusalem. And then it began to shift to the Roman Empire, and Constantine the emperor declared Christianity, the, 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 the overall, the, the, the state religion of the, the Roman Empire, and so it moved to Rome. And then the Franks, these Germanic people, they come and they hear the message of Christ, and they take that message and they move it to the nor northern Europe. And, and Christianity in its height and its influence lives in northern Europe for, for a very long time, and then it gets on a boat, and it crosses the Atlantic, and it comes to North America where it is for centuries the center of Christendom. And then it moved to Latin America and South America. And most historians would say today that Christianity is on the move again, that over the last few 50 years, that Christianity's movement has moved it towards the continent of Africa, that God's greatest influence and impact is happening in the, the continent of Africa. And maybe you think like I did, why? Why is that 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 happens? Well, Walls has this interesting premise, and I agree with this premise, that says that Christianity is always moving away from power and wealth and self-glorification and is always moving towards the vulnerable and the marginalized. Is that a beautiful picture? His theory essentially says that everywhere Christianity has ever been, what has followed it has been wealth and power and self-glory, and at some point, that message, that power and wealth has muted the message of the cross and robbed it of its impact. And Christianity just then moves on to where the vulnerability and the humility of the cross is accepted, that it just keeps moving all over the map. And so when we come to a text that we're in today, like Mark 10, it's going to help us understand some common sense around this, that this is really not a theory, but an absolute truth. That Jesus is always moving towards those who are vulnerable, who sacrifice, who are willing to give. And he moves away from those who are only willing to control and hold on to power. Because Jesus wants more than just our attention. He wants more than just your attendance here. Like he wants it all. He wants full surrender, vulnerability. I can't, God, only you can. And he pursues that. 
And so let's look at our text today. We'll read this together. We'll have it on the screens here in Mark 10. Verses 17 through 27. This is the story of the rich young ruler. This is what it says. And he was setting out on his journey. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession, and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible. With God. And so there are three things that we really want to pull out of here to observe today in our time. Three things that I'm just going to go ahead and give to you. You can fill them in your bulletin. Three things that we want to break down. Number one is this. Number one is this. Is Jesus asks us to surrender control, not control our surrender. Number two is that Jesus would rather let somebody walk away than compromise his kingdom. And number three is that Jesus says that being good enough isn't good enough. We're going to begin to break these down in our time together. There's a lot to like about this rich young man. A lot to like about it. There seems to be an urgency to him to find Jesus and ask this loaded question because the word records that this man ran up and then he knelt in front of Jesus and he, he addressed him as good Teacher. Now, good teacher in this time would be a term of endearment. It brings distinction. But this man has some urgency to take a a position of kneeling means that I really want to hear what you have to say. And so he wants to know the answer to this question. And you have to be impressed with this man's lifestyle. You have to be his obedience. Because Jesus answers the question that he has by saying, well, have you obeyed the commands? And what he says is, yes. Lord, I have obeyed them even since the days of my youth. And and most likely, when we say days of the youth, we're talking from like 12 years on. That would be like the the age of accountability in that culture. So from the age of 12, he's obeyed all of those things. Not defrauded, not lied. He's even honored his mother and father. Think about being a teenager. Sorry, teenagers in here. I was a teenager one time. And I had this mentality that everybody else is a fool. I got this thing figured out. My mom and dad probably need to listen to me a little bit more, but it says that this man, from 12, he, he honored his mother and father. That's noble. This is a pretty good man right here. This is the kind of guy that you would love to have come home and marry your daughter. 
Just lots of things to revere about this man. But in this man, Jesus sees something that is off, something that is messy, an obstacle in his life that is preventing him from living it to the fullest. And so as we can see in the hurry that we find in this man to find Jesus and his plea for wisdom, all is not well with this man's soul and heart. Even his faithful obedience to the law, in that he has still found no hope and no peace about his eternal life. Even in his obedience, something is not right in him. And Jesus knows it. Jesus knows that there in him is essentially a prison that is holding his heart ransom. This man has fortified the walls of his heart with wealth and possession. He has fortified his life with wealth and possession. And he has allowed them to become the things that he worships, that he boasts in. He has put them on the throne of his life as the king that he serves. And it is not Jesus. And Jesus is always going to speak against that. This man is willing to sacrifice some things, but not all things. He's willing to look in his life and put a check next to some boxes in his life to say, I'm willing to sacrifice that, Lord. Obedient living, honoring my mother and father, not lying. Lord, I'm willing to check those boxes, but I'm not willing to check the boxes on the things that I love the most, the things that I can control, my wealth, my possession, my money. That stuff I want. But unbeknownst to him, those very things that he loves and wants to control are the absolute things that are controlling him in his life. They are controlling him. He is not controlling them. And so that's why we say Jesus asks us to surrender control, not to control our surrender. To not just give up the things that seem easily in our life, not not to just give the things that are just low-hanging fruit, but to turn over the things that are even harder in our life as the Spirit pushes those things out of our life, to surrender those things to Him. And we read this passage, and we might think and want to believe that Jesus is asking us to give away all of our money and our wealth to follow Him. And certainly there is some truth that we need to sacrifice and lay down money and wealth in our lives. But that is not the most predominant message in this scripture. That's not necessarily what this scripture is about. There's a deeper message in this passage. We know that this is not completely about money if we just take a minute to look at the response that Jesus has to this man. We see in his interaction and his response that Jesus addresses this man's question in a way that he he really probably didn't want answered. He addresses this man's question in a way that he probably did not see. One of the things that we, first things that we know that it's not about money is that Jesus recognizes really quick that there's something missing in this guy's life. He has come with this question, and this is, this is, this is important, this is, and this is why. This is one of the most easily answered questions in all of Judaism. If you would have walked up and said, how do I inherit eternal life? The response would have been to follow the commands and avoid sin. And if you read into the language of Jesus, he's giving this verbatim response of what this man would have heard his entire life. He would have heard this over and over again, but Jesus recognizes something different. He recognizes in the question that this man is asking, what he's really saying is, Jesus, there's something missing. Jesus, there's something missing. Now, certainly money is an issue for us, and let's be honest, if we were to line up a list of things that we replace 
the Savior Christ for in our lives and serve as an earthly Savior, an earthly King, if we were to line up all of those things, certainly money would be at the top of that list. Certainly money would be what we would want to serve. Yes, Jesus talks a lot about sexual sin. He talks about pride in our hearts. He talks about how we treat each other. But overwhelmingly, Jesus would speak to this truth, is that money blinds you. Money blinds you. He would, be terif- he would tell us to be careful with, with building up treasures on earth. He would be told us to be careful about counting on the things of this world. He would say this over and over again. And Paul would go on to say things like, money's not your savior. Money cannot bring you happiness. Money is not the end. It's, it's just a tool. It is a tool that the Lord uses. And yet we fall in the temptation of using money as some sort of scorecard, as some sort of measuring stick to our life. Money blinds you. Jesus is not making it a habit of asking everybody to go sell everything they have and to follow him. But he did say it to this one young man, and he said it because he's trying to demonstrate something to all of us that we have spoken about so many times in this church. It's a theme of the Gospel of Mark. What Jesus demonstrates and says over and over and over again is that there is something radically broken inside of all of us. There's something radically broken in all of us that we need to lay down. And so this is a message of sacrifice, that this man needs to lay down what is wrong with him. And he's asking us to do the same thing, to lay down what is wrong with us. Sometimes we don't like the words of Jesus when he says, cut off your sin and separate yourself from it, because what we hear is Jesus is saying that there's something wrong with us. We don't like to hear those things, but it is true. There is something radically wrong with us. We are broken and hopeless, and without Jesus, we have no cause for reconciliation. And at the core of this young man's issue, at the core of it, is this fundamental piece that is missing in his life, that there is something missing, and he wants to know how he can fix it. There is something in his life that all the good things that he's ever done in his life are not measuring up the way that he thought they would measure up. They're not providing for him the the kind of lifestyle and the feeling and the emotions and the security that he was hoping for. I think about a modern-day example of this. There's a quarterback. His name's Tom Brady. I got into a little bit of issue because I called him a great quarterback in first service. People had an issue with that, but he's he's a pretty good quarterback. He wins lots of Super Bowls. One of his inter- interviews, this man is asking, man, you just got to be on the top of the world. Three Super Bowls, beautiful wife. Isn't this just the best? And Brady, in a moment of vulnerability, says, I don't know, is this all there is? There's got to be something more than this, right? Those were his words. A man that we think has probably achieved the highest level of, of fulfillment in this life says that there is something missing. And haven't we all had that question? And just like this young man, if we attempt to fill a spot in our life, a void in our heart that is only meant for the Savior, we too will find a lacking in life. Because this young man's money problem comes out of a heart problem. Because the problem of the heart is the heart of the problem. Jesus wants us all, 
all of us in surrender every day, Lord, thank you. Lord, help me. Lord, help me see it. Lord, thank you for your gift. He wants to surrender to let him begin to push desires and realities and thoughts into our life through his spirit. Because nothing will ever be good enough to make what is wrong with you right in this earth. Nothing on this earth will ever be good enough to make what is wrong with you right. And so we surrender. And then notice in this passage, Jesus' response to this young man, that it says that he loved him. I don't want us to move past that without noticing that. It says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. That is a hard way to love somebody. Jesus, in hearing this question, I like to see him. He's full of compassion and love for this man, and he gives them a hard truth. Sometimes we think love is just like this goo goo gaga, like I'm gonna, whatever you want, do whatever you want. I just, I'm gonna love you emotionally. You're good with me. But Jesus loves this man enough to give him hard truth. And then we see this man turn and walk away sad. How many of us in this scenario, maybe you would be like me? I hope not. But if you had the courage to be able to go to somebody that you love and tell them a hard truth, maybe through the lens of Christ you were able to see something that they were serving in their life that just was causing chaos in their life. And if you had the courage enough, would you say that? Or, or would you be like, sounds good to me. <laughs> a lot of good things there go there. Keep going, brother. Or if you had the courage through the lens of Christ and the love for somebody to see something in somebody's life that is just destroying and creating havoc in their life, that's bringing them into the wrong place with God, that's creating a perspective that's in the wrong place. If you had the courage to love somebody that much to say, I see this in your life, and you watch them walk away because it was that hard. How many of you would have the temptation to go, hey, 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 come back. I was just kidding. I, when I said all, I meant half. Let's just do half of it. Would you do half and just come with me? We'll work out the rest of it. Not, not half. Well, how, can we just start with like the curio cabinet in the corner with the precious moments? Can we sell those and then we'll work it out the rest of the way? How many of us would just have this desire inside of us to kind of let's tone that down a little bit. I kind of maybe get into that thinking because I'm a pastor and I know my role. You know, I, I'm here to, to shepherd people and bring God's word and truth to you, but I also have a, a business mind that I have to consider, making sure our staff get paid, making sure the lights get on. And when I hear a story about a rich young ruler that's got some good stuff going for him, I think, ah, may have some deep pockets there that could bring some sort of ministry funding to make things a little easier around here, you would think Jesus would be like, no, just, hey, just come with me. We'll figure it out. Maybe you can help pay for some fishes and loaves so we don't run out all the time. But no, that's not what Jesus says. It's like, one thing you lack. Go sell all you have and give to the poor. And so listen, this is the hard truth, is that Jesus would rather let somebody walk away than compromise his kingdom. 
He would let somebody walk away and compromise his kingdom. It seems a bit harsh of Jesus to let this man walk away. But Jesus would rather let this man see his heart, to see his brokenness, to know the truth, and to deal with it than to confuse him and deceive him by saying, hey, you're okay, you'll be fine, and corrupt him. Jesus loved this man enough to tell him this. This is love. And, and sometimes in our best effort to win people to Christ, to care for people, that they would know Christ, we can do things that devalue and corrupt the gospel of Christ. We create scenarios where we treat Christ and his kingdom and God's word as some sort of debatable standard according to our own preferences, to our own care, to our own interpretations. And we soften his commands and expectations that he bids us to come and die for him, to lay it all down. We, we treat Jesus as something sometimes that we need to sell, that make him palpable to other people. And so we kind of lower the bar to people and say, hey, could you give me this much? Would you do this much? Rather than focus and celebrate on a God who is all powerful, holy, and good all at the same time. Christ's gospel is not what needs to be changed. It's quite the opposite, friends. We are the ones that need to change as we surrender to God's spirit and truth. And so we should be creative in how we love people. Love people extravagantly. Serve them extravagantly. Be creative in those venues. But do not feel the license to be creative with the message. Don't feel that you need to be creative in lowering the bar and the standards for people so that some people might confess Jesus or choose Jesus. All that does is create a consumer mentality in the area of Christianity in which one believes that they can have Jesus fit to their own lifestyle, to whatever I feel comfortable with, to whatever I feel that I want in my life. But listen, Jesus is a mirror that reveals our own badness, our own de de like depravity, our own hopelessness, and that mirror is to have an effect that we would see the holiness of God and we would surrender to him, that we would come to know and love a God that loves us even in that state, that even died for us while yet we were sinners, that he chose to redeem us down there. That is reverence for God. That is a standard in which we bring people to the glory of Christ too. Do not compromise on the message in that way. That's not what the Lord asks us to do. And then as we see this rich man walking away, we see Jesus turn away to his disciples and he says some very interesting words. He's, he says two rhetorical questions. The first is, is the, they're essentially the same. It is... Uh, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, children, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? Two questions talking about the difficulty in being in God's kingdom, not just about being rich, just about the overall impossibility through human effort to be in the kingdom of God. And then he uses these silly phrases, this kind of story that maybe you've heard in your life. This camel, he talks about a camel and that it would be easier for a camel to get through this eye of the needle. I've been in church for, for some time in my life and I've heard multiple different explanations of this kind of analogy. Some people say that this analogy kind of is uh, talking about this secret back gate 
around the temple that at a certain point these big gates in Jerusalem shut and that there's a back entrance that if you can starve your camel and you can get them to, to kind of shrink in their water weight, you take off all their packs, everything, and you get them on their knees and they crawl, that you can just push them through this, what they call this gate, this eye of the needle. That, yeah, it's tough, but it's not impossible. That's one interpretation. The other I've heard is that in Arabic, the, the word camel is often synonymous, syn- synonymous, cinnamon roll. Uh, it, it also means the same thing as this kind of tattered piece of thread, like a, like a piece of burlap, and it would be like putting that tattered thread through the eye of a needle. That's what they would say. And no offense to any of those people. Maybe you've been taught that. Whoever said that that was what Jesus meant, but I find that to all be overblown, to be honest. Can we just take Jesus for what he's saying right here? <laughs> that it's just a camel going through an eye of a needle to symbolize the impossible nature of you earning your salvation? That's, that's the picture I see. Uh, it is impossible with man, but it is not impossible with God. I would say the understanding in this New Testament time is not much different than what we have today. The understanding in this time would be that if you had a lot of wealth and power, that that was a blessing from the Lord. I mean, if we look at some of our patriarchs like Abraham, I mean, Rich, Solomon, David, Joseph, these are men that had great possession, great wealth, but also had great blessing on their life. And so when Jesus says that when a rich man, the hard time for a rich man to get in the kingdom of God, this blows the disciples' minds because they would have equated power and wealth with blessing. But this is the upside down kingdom of Jesus. And none of that matters anymore. None of that matters. It's about surrender. And this man, I mean, he earned his wealth through virtuous means. He didn't fraud anybody. He didn't lie to anybody. He got all of it through integrity. He didn't steal any of it. But yet, even though he's great in possession, he's missing the most important possession, namely, Jesus. He hasn't surrendered his life to Jesus. Because Jesus says that being good enough isn't good enough. I know that there is a great battle in lots of us to feel good enough in life. That maybe you have history in your life the way that you were brought up. Maybe some tragic things have happened. Maybe you have believed the lies that people have tell you about your worth and you just fight every day to feel good enough in your life. I understand that. That's a noble desire. The truth is, is that you are good enough and it's outside of your understanding because God loves you. He, he has made you good enough. Your identity is in him, not in anybody, what anybody else says. But in this passage, what Jesus is saying that, is that you will never, ever be good enough for God in salvation. That just merely by effort, looking the part, being good enough is not even close to being good enough. It is impossible for man but with God, all things are possible. And sometimes, I like to watch sports, and sometimes you hear that phrase, all things are possible with God. Like, God, through God, we're going to get the victory today. All things are possible through him. That's not what he's trying to put on that. We, we use that phrase as some sort of service to ourselves. that, well, this seems crazy, but it's going to be good for me because what? All things are possible with God. No, he's saying 
your salvation specifically is impossible with you. Only through God is it possible. Jesus is trying to stress this point that salvation is impossible through your own efforts, through your own merits. And what he wants most of us, from most of, from all of us, is to stop hiding and covering up your brokenness and shame and mess by using the means of the world to try to make yourself feel better. Money, power, wealth, relationships. Quit hiding your mess and your brokenness and your hopelessness through things that are trivial. And he asks us to lay them down because the most fundamental problem with you is your broken heart. And that if we would cry out, Lord, Lord, that he's going to love us enough to reveal in our lives the things that he wants to change, that he's going to work out his salvation in us, that he's going to, he's going to begin and he's going to end a work that he has already began in us. Not because he wants to control you. He's not some killjoy boss up there going, I'll just move him around. That stunk for you, I'm sorry. No. He wants us to surrender because he wants us to know what flourishing is in this life and the next life. He wants to be our king and he wants to sit on our throne as the most important thing in our life. He doesn't want you to settle for good enough. He wants you to settle only for the perfection and righteousness of Christ that comes through surrender. A perfection and a righteousness and a peace that he gives to us through grace by faith. And so the question is real simple today. Can you surrender to that? Can you surrender to the all-out call that Christ has for us to surrender all that we have to his throne and to let him be your king, to break down all the walls in your heart and lead you into the way of flourishing, not without struggle, but a way that's much better, that won't leave you saying, something's missing here. So today I ask you to consider the entire possibility that maybe you have poorly prioritized your life that maybe you have set something on the throne of your heart that should not be there, whether it be money or relationships or pride, and that you would lay those things down and understand those are a fruit issue of a root problem with your broken heart that needs a Savior. And so I'm going to ask the band to come out. I'm going to spend some time worshiping our King. I know the human mind wants to create a list here and begin to think about, oh, is he asking me to surrender this? Is he asking me to do this? Maybe I need to do this. I'm spending too much money here. I'm prioritizing this in life. What I'm saying to you is that you would just confess your brokenness. The Lord is going to reveal to you the things that he wants to remove out of your heart, but it only starts with repentance through surrender to Christ that he would come and begin to mend your heart. Jesus moves towards those who are meek in spirit, poor in spirit, to the vulnerable, to the humble, it says that God opposes the proud. He condemns the sword. And he will continue to move that way until he calls us all in glory someday. And so let's all stand together. If you need some prayer today, we ask you to join us today in front here to pray or in your seats or wherever. Let's spend some time worshiping our King.